Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, and welcome to Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Balaam Usitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we'll focus on passages and destinations. And in other, other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. Before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters. Several listeners are supporting the podcast via Patreon. If you would like to join them in supporting the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east. Hey, thanks, Bela. And thanks to our listeners and supporters. Great to see you. You're looking very vigorous today. Uh, even though, I don't know, on a podcast, maybe people can't see you. Well, if they're watching on YouTube, but uh, you look good and healthy. What's new? Uh, well, hey, I got a question for you. Well, actually, yep. what's new, we're recording this on November 9th, and we had snow last night up here in upstate New York. Uh, not very much, Ooh. but uh, everything is uh, white outside, at least the grass is. So, yep, the winter's on its way. Uh, the boat is out of the water and up on the hard. Uh, I'm going down this uh, Sunday, Monday to put the final touches on it and put the cover on it. Uh, I have a big three-piece canvas cover for the boat. And uh, I get my son, Andy, who lives down there in Barrington, to help me put it on because it's just too big to do by myself. So that'll kind of button up the boating season. And uh, with the snow here, skiing season should be just around the corner. Nice, Bela. Good. It's 50 degrees here in Germany today, so not bad. And there's some blue sky as I look out my window. But it's getting dark earlier and earlier here. You know, we're much farther north than you are, so the sun goes down pretty early these days. So. I'll try to get on my bicycle and uh, get home before the sun sun goes down. But who who's our guest today, Bela? Yeah, I got a question for you, Mike. Do you know what? Well, answer a question. A question answering a question with a question. That's, <laughs> that's what, I don't right. know if that's fair. No, no. That I I learned that from you know my my professor mentors who taught me how to be a good teacher. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you know what a United States Coast Guard surfman is? No idea. Never heard of surfman. I know the Coast Guard, but not the surfman. Yeah, either did I. Uh, I just thought, 
I mean, I always thought the Coast Guard was a nice branch of the military, but I didn't know they had people who surfed. <laughs> well, it turns out uh, there is a, a, a profession in the Coast Guard called a surfman. And what it is, is people who drive boats into really big waves. So there's like certain rivers that particularly go into oceans. Uh, this is predominantly up in the northwest part of the United States, but there's some on the East Coast. So either rivers or inlets and outlets. And under certain conditions, because of the tide or the current that flows through there um, and the wind, you get huge waves. I mean, really big waves. And they make these special boats for the Coast Guard because we have to go out and rescue somebody. They get in the boat and they got to go out there and get them. And these boats are actually designed that they can roll over upside down and come back up and pop up like a cork. And so the person who drives that boat is called a surfman. And our guest today uh, is Chris DeMello. And uh, he is a retired United States Coast Guard surfman. And uh, we had a great, great conversation. So I have another question for you. Is there uh, the United States Coast Guard equivalent in Germany, Mike? That's a good question, Bela. So as far as I know, um, you know, well, let me start here. We don't have a lot of coastline. I think Germany has about 450 miles of ocean coastline. And we're, our country is about as big as the state of Montana, if you can imagine that. That's how big Germany is in terms of land. But we have 80 million people. So we have like a quarter of the population of the entire U.S. shoved into Montana. That's Germany. Okay. Yeah. Um, and only about 450 miles of coastline, which I imagine is kind of what Louisiana has along mm. the Gulf of Mexico down there. So we have a small ocean coast. So we have the Baltic. Um, there's Denmark is kind of jutting out of the, the middle of the northern coast of um, of Germany. And then you've got the the um, the Baltic on one side and the North Sea on the other. So that's we have some coastline on either side of Denmark, uh, east to the east and to the west. Um, and so there's a small coast. And there is, as far as I know, there is a... Um, there, you know, you see them, the boats, it's a, it's a force, but it's, um, it's part of the national or, or federal police force. So it's not a military branch, like in the U S it's part of the national police force. So they are responsible for like similar things. So protecting the, the coastline, not only, um, from a kind of a military standpoint, um, you know, cause they're not too far from kind of Ukraine and Russia. If you go up and turn right there, you know, you, you kind of get there. It's a lot closer than you might think in the U.S., um, but protection and then also environmental issue and illegal immigration, things like that. So they have a lot of similar, um, you know, search and rescue of boaters that get themselves in trouble on the coast because there's a lot of boating and sailing up there and the weather can get pretty gnarly in the winter. Um, so, yeah, so we have one, but it's a little different. It's more of a federal agency rather than a, 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 a military service branch. But enough about my country. Let's talk about the U.S. and get right into your conversation with Chris. What do you think? Sounds great, Mike. Let's go. Hey, Chris, how are hey, you today? I'm great. How are you? Uh, very good. So uh, you're a former Coast Guard uh, surfman, I think is what the title is. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So you wrote a book. And I, I got to say, I, I the first chapter in the book has left an indelible impression on me. Uh, the name of the chapter is Red Shoes. And I don't want to give it away. And, and after reading that chapter, I can understand uh, how it has left uh, uh, an indelible memory for you as well. 
So all I want to say is I really recommend the book. Uh, I thought it was great. People who like reading these types of adventure and true-to-life stories. Uh, and the name of the book is Life and Death at Cape Disappointment. Um, and uh, it's just a great book. So I don't know if you want to say anything about it, but uh, I, I found, especially that first chapter, to be like, wow. Uh, thanks for the plug. Um I think it's one, the Coast Guard, not a lot of people know about the Coast Guard. Yeah. In general, it's a small service. So it, it's hard to get people interested in things that they don't know anything about. Um, this is a perfect platform being a sailing and cruising podcast to get people interested. Um, but it was an opportunity to educate the public on the selfless acts of, of people in the Coast Guard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's great. And and so tell us a little bit about uh, what a surfman is, right? Because that's not a that's not a, a title that rings to mind, at least to the layperson when you think about the Coast Guard. So it's interesting. There's not a lot of surfmen um, since 1878. There's been about 550 of us. It takes a long time to get qualified. So basically what you are is a BOSA mate, correct? So you go to a, a station, you become coxswain qualified, and then heavy weather qualified. Those are qualifications to drive boats. And then you get into the surf aspect, breaking surf. Now, in order to be a surf station, there has to be a bar. Um, on the East Coast, they've changed a couple of the surf stations. I think there's Oregon Inlet, Hatteras, Barnegat Light, uh, Gloucester, possibly. There's very few on the East Coast. It's mostly West Coast surf stations, uh, and it has to have breaking surf 10% of the year, so at least 36 days out of the year. Uh, the Pacific Northwest far exceeds that. We get over 100 days a year. Yeah, uh, But it's a qualification that takes a long time because it's weather dependent. Um, people get hurt. It's like a 100% injury rate. You know, you're you're wrecking 40,000 pound boats into 20 foot surf. People do get hurt, um, but it takes, it takes a long time. We're technically the expert boat drivers. Is yeah. what we um, but it's a very rewarding job. Like I said, it takes a long time for people to get qualified based on different factors. Um, but yeah, it's super rewarding. Well, I, I know the, the inlets that you kind of rattled off on the East coast are all the inlets that I try to stay away from. Sure. <laughs> right? Because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of flow. Right. Right. And uh shallow water and sometimes the wind is in one direction and the current's in a different direction. And um any experienced uh, recreational boater knows that's a place to stay away from. Yeah, when you have a river meeting the ocean, it's never it's never a good thing. And you always have shifting sandbar sandbars. Uh, the bottom yeah. changes constantly. Like you mentioned, the wind. You got the swell direction can be indifferent from different directions. It it makes it uh, a mess. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's challenging to say the least. So when you get qualified, you get qualified as a surfman at a particular station so so yeah so you go to a surf station um it really the qualification process really starts when you get there um 
not even being on the boat. You got to have a level head. Um, it's really about good decision making. Mm. Uh, once you get qualified at a unit, nowadays they like to keep you an extra couple years at that particular unit because it took so long to get qualified. And a lot of times then you'll go to another surf unit um, and then you recertify there. It's not the same process. It's basically a check ride and an oral mm -hmm. board. Um, to make sure you you know the basis and and really the the area of responsibility um, is the main key when you recertify. Um, but when you get qualified, you kind of I don't want to say you get stuck, but a lot of people are stay in the community because there's just not very many of them. Yeah, yeah. And and so, what does the average time it take to qualify as a surfman? When I was doing it, I think it was four to five years. Um, wow. Yeah. It, it take, there's a lot of different factors. Um, how many qualified surfing you have at the unit to do training, um, the maintenance on the boats, because those boats take a beating. So um, doing training is tough on the boats. And then the weather factor. I was never on the East Coast. So I don't, I, I know it gets nasty, um, but I don't know how much surf compared to the West Coast it gets. Um, I would think it's a little bit less, but just as dangerous. But the boats take a beating, and and some, yeah, some people like to just maintain their qualification and don't like to do a ton of training because you get beat up. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh Take me through sort of a typical day in the life of of Chris. Now or then? No, 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 no. But back back in the day, back in the day. Well, so most of the book is based off Cape Disappointment. And that was the time of my life. We were super, we were really busy there. Times have changed. Um, better construction of boats, fuel prices. Uh, restrictions on fisheries, the list goes on and on. So it's changed a lot, but it used to be a lot busier. Mm. In the summertime, we would have a, a big salmon run all the time, and we would get hundreds and hundreds of recreational boaters out there. And we would run, you know, get up in the morning. As soon as the sun came up, we were out, or even before that, um, people breaking down, people getting lost in the fog. Um, we would run 20 to 30 cases a weekend, which was fun. The wintertime is much slower. It's it's more commercial-based, commercial fisheries. But the, that's when it's rough. That's their livelihood. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. Um, that's what they do for a living. So um, a lot of times, I don't want to say it was sitting around waiting, but you were waiting. It's like a, it's like a fire department. Sure. You, right. you know, in um, some seasons, we're busier than others. Um, and we would get cases that would last anywhere from two hours and eight foot seas to 24 hours and 20 foot seas or surf. Um, most of those guys are, are, are pretty bright. They know, they know what they're doing. They know the risks. Um, so the, the biggest issue we had back then with the recreational boater is they wouldn't put their boat in the water in all winter long and they would throw it in in the summertime and not do any of their safety checks or anything like that and go out and want to fish. People want to catch fish. So those are the biggest problems we ran into. Yeah. 
Now, let's say you get a call. Uh, are are you? Is your basic mission to go out there and and protect uh, life and and make sure no one, you know, gets injured or dies? Search and rescue, correct. Yeah. Life then property. Property is not that important, but life then property. We do our best to save property, but life is the most important thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and do you coordinate? Are there other assets that get deployed besides the the rescue? What's the proper name for the boat? Motor lifeboats. We have safe boats. Um, you call them rescue boats. Just, okay. Yeah. Um, we have different types and sizes. Uh, now there's a 29 foot, it's called a utility boat. It goes pretty fast, about 35 knots. And then we have the 47s, the surf boats. They go about 30 knots. Um, I'm sorry, go back to the question again. Yeah. So are there other assets that get deployed yes. or are you yes. guys so, on your own? So we're, we're basically, we're, we're on our own. We always have at least two boat crews, two full boat crews, um, ready to go at any time. Um, if it's a major catastrophe or emergency, we also have an air station that's 20 minutes away, right across the river. All, all stations have an air station located fairly close to them. Um, so if there's multiple people on the water or it's way offshore where it's going to take us a long time to get there, the air station will respond. Everybody coordinates. Like I said, life is the most important thing and seconds count in the water, especially yeah. in cold water and turbulent seas. Um, so we coordinate well with others. And, and there's a lot of volunteer firefighters that have jet skis that, you know, hit their, you know, they got scanners at home. So we, we work with right. everybody. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Got it. Got it. Now let's go. Uh, let's go back. What sort of made you decide to get into the Coast Guard? <laughs> so I grew up in Santa Cruz, California. I surfed my whole life. I was in the ocean my entire life. I uh, I was a water polo player. I went to college, played a year of water polo. Didn't really like college too much, um, and never really thought about the Coast Guard at the time. But I knew I just wanted to stay around the ocean and work around the ocean, and I wanted to surf and stay in the water. So I figured, heck, might as well join the Coast Guard. And I stayed in California for three years. Uh, I went from a, uh, the Coast Guard Cutter Sherman in Oakland, California, to the Cutter Long Island in Monterey, California, 
And then to Cape Disappointment, where I spent the majority of my career and then kind of bounced around the Oregon coast. Got it. Got yeah. It. But once I got and, in, once I got in, I loved it. You yeah. Know, it, was, it was the right decision for me. And and how many years were you in for? 22. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So quite a, quite a career. Yeah. 22. And I retired, uh, gee, what year is it? So I retired about seven years ago. So okay. it's, it's, been, it's been a while. I'm a little out of touch with, with certain things, but it's, sure. it's been a while. Yeah. And, and what does a, uh, uh, a person who was a, a surfman do after they leave the service? <laughs> they recover. Um, <laughs> it depends. Most guys that stay in the surf community do 30 years. Um, there's not a lot of just, there's people do a lot of CETO type stuff. Mm, uh, okay. US, they get into commercial, they get their commercial licenses, do stuff like that. Um, there's not a lot of civilian jobs that relate to surfmen. Yeah. Um, we do also do law enforcement. That's part of our job. Um, I like the search and rescue aspect more than the law enforcement aspects. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of civilian jobs that relate to, you know, it's not, it doesn't make for a good resume. Nope. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. So uh, talk to me a little bit about some of the things that recreational boaters could do uh, that would, that would sort of would make the Coast Guard life easier. Right. So we're, we're not, we're not calling the Coast Guard at times when we shouldn't be because it's a limited resource. And, right. And, and, you know, I know. So I'm I'm in Narragansett Bay up in near Rhode Island, Long Island Sound. And on a you know nice weekend, man, the radio is just constantly going. And I'm surprised how many people are broken down and need a tow. And it's just it's, it's overwhelming to me, you know. So right. what are a couple of things that you can draw from your your experience to say man you know here's here's three or four things that you should really think about before you do them so this is going to sound cliche right so know the safety equipment you have to have on board for your yep. type, your, your size and type of vessel that is the most important thing tell somebody where you're going family friends let them know what you're doing that day know the weather know the weather forecast but the safety equipment, you know, life jacket, throwable, uh, flares, uh, sound producing device, radio, all the electronics and doing an inspection before you put your boat in the water. Mm -hmm. you know? um, when it comes to calling the Coast Guard, yeah, there's never really a wrong time. We could switch channels and get off the emergency channel at 1622. We could switch channels and answer any questions. Um one thing we did not have on the West Coast, was, which you guys probably do have, is, is Towboat US or Seatow. Yeah, we, we didn't have that. It, it couldn't get insured out there. So it, it was it was tough. So it was only us. Um, if you're an avid water person and you you use the ocean as your recreation, I would suggest uh, getting one of those. Um, and. You know, if you got experience, you know the difference between just being broke down in an emergency. But right. have your safety equipment, know the weather, let somebody know where you're going at all times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have, I actually have the Coast Guard app on my phone, 
and you can do a float plan in that. Yes. Right. Which is basically telling people where you're going and when you expect to be back and, yes. you know, description of the boat and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, super, because, super important. Yeah. And those are all the questions they ask you <laughs> when you call right. the Coast Guard. <laughs> right. Or particularly if you're calling the Coast Guard on someone else's behalf. Right. They're, they're going to ask you those questions. And if you go, oh, I don't know where they're that's not very helpful. A lot of times we would get, you know, in the summertime, we would we would see trucks. It would be a couple boat launches near the station. And through the night, no one came back to the truck. Yes. We're like, okay, so then we got to call the police, you know, get the license plate, and go through the whole process, find out whose vehicle it is, get a hold of them. Then they would call and say, yeah, they're supposed to be back at 5 o'clock. Well, it's midnight, you know, right. and then it becomes a full-blown, you know, search and rescue case. Where did they go? The ocean's a big place. The needle in a haystack. Right. right. So, yeah, I, I think I think one of the one of the challenges is that with the communication devices we have, the, the electronics we have, um, we get very uh, lackadaisical and and totally underestimate the amount of trouble you can get into and how quickly you things can turn to crap. <laughs> Even yeah. on a nice day, yes. <laughs> you know, even on a nice day. Yes. And, and, you know, we just, we just assume that everything's going to be okay. And the other thing I think that a lot of boaters assume is that, well, the Coast Guard's going to come get me. Well, that may or may not be true. They, they may be busy with something else. So you can't, that can't be your, that can't be your uh, plan to say that, oh, when something goes wrong, I'm going to call the Coast Guard. No, no. <laughs> and it takes time, too. Yeah. It takes time to respond and get out there. And it doesn't it really, people are going to be mad at me for saying this. It doesn't matter how much experience you have, how good in the water you think you are. The ocean is a dangerous place. Yeah. It is unforgiving. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care what kind of experience you have. Um Anything could go wrong at any time. Yes, we're there, but it, it's just like anything else. It doesn't, you know, you're 10 miles offshore. We're not going to be there in two minutes. You know, it, it takes time to respond. Um, you know, if there's somebody broken down, you know, we're going to go tow them. And then there's a capsized boat. We're going to go to the capsized boat right. before we're going to go to the, you know, it's kind of triage type thing. Right. But it's still, it takes time. Um, and as you know, up there in the wintertime too, it's cold. You know, yeah. you don't last very long in the water. So, That's right. yeah, That's anything right. can go wrong at any time. Yeah. And and like you said, here on the East Coast, we have sea tow uh, and uh, various different commercial towing operations. So at least what I hear on the radio, almost every time, if you're broken down and you call the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard's going to connect you to sea tow. And sea tow's the one that's going to come and you know they ask you is there any life in danger <laughs> you know right. are you sinking they ask you those uh, right protect life questions and if the answer to those is no you're going to be waiting for CETO. yeah we're not we're not supposed to interfere with commercial enterprise you right. know so right um which, which, yeah. which is great yeah and right. and that works that works just fine it works really good and here on the east coast like a a a, a policy with CETO or one of those services is like less than 200 bucks a year. Right. I mean, that's like, you know, 
price of the boat is like you spend that much on fuel, right? Take advantage like, of it. Take, yeah. You know, there's another thing that I forgot to mention too is is the Coast Guard does courtesy inspections. I don't yes. know. If, yes. So it's much easier to call your local Coast Guard station and get a courtesy inspection and either meet them at the dock or bring your boat near the station. It is a very relaxed inspection. There's no no guns, none of that stuff. It's just checking all of your safety equipment. And if you need something, they'll give you a list. You know, hey, go get this, come back, and they'll give you what's called a 4100 form. You know, if it's a if if you're all good, you have that copy, so you know you got some kind of peace of mind that you have. Yeah, all your stuff. Now, if you do a boarding, a, a post search and rescue boarding, it's a little more intense. We're going to go through and find out what's wrong, what you did wrong, what you didn't have. Um, but I would I would strongly consider the courtesy inspections much more yeah. relaxed, and th there's more time to educate people too. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great tip because at our marina, uh, the I think the Coast Guard Auxiliary comes and and does those at our marina like every other year. Yeah, and it's and it's free, right? You sign up yeah. for it, and you and I had it done, and you like you said, it's very relaxed. It's not intimidating. No, nope. it's it's they're there to help you and help educate you. Yes, and and answer questions, and, and it was great. It yes. was really great. Yeah, we're there to protect people. We don't want to. We don't. It's not fun. It, I mean, doing search and rescue is fun, but when the bad things happen, it's not fun for anybody. You know, and right. a lot. You know, there there are times when things are unpreventable. Things happen, but a lot of times it's preventable. Preventable. Right. So yeah. So, uh, what are sort of let's say someone's listening to this and they say, "Man, Chris really got me inspired. I want to go be a surfman." <laughs> what what sort of uh, qualifications do I need to have in order to sort of go down that path? Well, join the Coast Guard. Once you yeah. do graduate boot camp, you have to be a BM, Bosemate, right? So now when I was in, you didn't go to school to do that. You, so what's, what's a bosun's mate mean? Uh, you, you drive boats, you do... Um, so if you're on a ship, you're in charge of like deck type stuff cranes, boats, all, all seamanship involved type stuff. Um, from there, you know, it depends what the Coast Guard needs at the time, but you need to go to a surf station. Um, like I'll go back. So now you go to school to do that before you, you would strike the rate. It was on the job training mm -hmm. now school uh, and you can request can't quote me on this because things have changed since I retired, but you can request to go to a surf station. Um, and once you get to that surf station, they'll start trying to qualify you. And if you got it, you got it. If you don't, you, you don't. Um, one thing that people shy away from in the surf community is they're very small units and small communities on the coast, small towns. Um, some people like it and some people yeah. don't. Um, but it's, we're always looking for people. I mean, they're, they're sh we've been short surfmans forever. I mean, say Station Cape Disappointment, I think they're required to have now, I think eight to 10 surfmen. There mm -hmm. might be five or six, 
You know, a smaller unit that's required to have six might have three. I went to a unit, uh, Sayuslaw River, in 2005, where it was me and this other guy. So I was on call 24 hours a day for two years. So we we never got we never got a break. You have to have two boats um, in order to do any type of surf. So training and or cases, you need to have a backup boat. So they're always looking for people. The Coast Guard in general is looking for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a great, uh, wonderful career there. I loved it. It's the best time of my life. I loved it. It was yeah. it was awesome. Yeah. So if if uh, what what percentage of people who 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 apply or want to become surfmen actually make it through to the end? Back then it was less than 10%. Is that right? Holy camoly. Yeah. And it's not, it's not ability. Um, it's just, it takes a long time. People get impatient. Um, they want to promote, which totally understandable. And you could still promote while being in the program, but when you're sitting around waiting waiting for weather sometimes, you know, and typically on the West coast, it's September to say April is when you get the, the nasty weather most of the year, actually. Um, yeah. People get impatient. It takes a long time. So people move on. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is, is it one of the, I don't know how to ask this question, but is it sort of like a prestigious job in the Coast Guard? Is it, it, is. Is it sort of looked up to? I mean, that and a rescue swimmer or? It, it is. Um, <laughs> the rescue swimmers. Yeah, they get a lot. They get a lot of attention. It's it's interesting. The rescue swimmers get a lot of attention. Well-deserved. Um, surfmen in the Coast Guard, This you might find this strange. There are people in the Coast Guard that don't even know what surfmen are. Yeah. So you have what's called a surf pin once you get qualified. So I transferred to New Orleans in 2009 and I was walking around the, the district office with my uniform on and my pin and there's guys stopping me and like, what is that thing on your chest? It's a surfing pin. They're like, what, what is that? You know? So it is prestigious. Um, probably cause it takes so long to get qualified yeah. and there's so, there's just not many of us. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your book. Okay. What, what sort of inspired you to write a book? So I don't want to give it away the end, the very end. I had a, I had a medical issue, right? Um, so I was lucky enough to run a, a, a lot of high profile cases. It was kind mm -hmm. of, I was in another book. Uh, a Dr. Dennis Noble, who writes a lot of, he's a Coast Guard historian who writes uh, uh, tons of books on the Coast Guard. I was in one of his books um, and people kind of, they were saying, hey, you should jot this stuff down. You should write it down and maybe someday write a book. And I was never really interested in doing that. Um, and then I had this medical issue and I kind of realized, you know, my kids were young at the time. They had no idea what I did. Um, I was very quiet about it. You know, work was work. Home was home. Um, so I wanted I wanted them to know I had a really cool job, a really unique job, a dangerous yeah. job. So once I got into writing it, then I realized nobody really knows anything about surfing, like anywhere. Um 
So that's kind of how it came about. I, I got more motivated. It was really just a legacy project. I wasn't even going to have it published. Uh, I had my wife's cousin review some of it and he was like, you got to send this out. Like you, you got to send this out and Lions Press picked it up pretty much right away. Uh, it took a lot of drafts and a lot of editing. Writing a book was, it was my first experience. It's a long process. Um, but yeah, it was, it was for my kids. And then it turned into from my kids to educate the public and, you know, let them know that there are people doing crazy good things, uh, dangerous things every day that go totally unrecognized, sacrificing their life, going unrecognized. Um, so yeah, it was kind of education and for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great reason to write it, right? Yeah. And, uh, it's a great book. Uh, it's called life and death at Cape disappointment. And, uh, Chris Diamello, did I say Mario. that? Yeah. And uh, I assume you can get it on Amazon and all those places. I'll make sure all that information is in the uh, show notes for the podcast. So, Chris, is there anything that uh, we haven't talked about uh, that you'd like to share with the audience? No, if you're interested in if you're if you're interested in the Coast Guard, this is a great book. There's other books out there, maybe not like this one. Uh, if you're young and eager, join the Coast Guard. We're always looking for people, looking for good people. Um, other than that, no, I, I appreciate the time. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Chris. It was really a, a pleasure chatting with you. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you. All right. Well, Bela, once again, I like to prove the point, and I don't know if, what it says about me, but I learned something each and every day, and today I learned about a dozen things. So, yeah, I had no idea about a, a, what a surfman was, and, boy, I learned a lot not only about the surfman, but um, but about the Coast Guard, too. But So, Bela, this was a real eye-opener for me. Um, and, you know, I'm not much of a boater, but so maybe, you know, I'll leave it to you. What were your big takeaways from your conversation with Chris? You know, one of the takeaways for me was it reminded me uh, of the appreciation all of all boaters should have for the United States Coast Guard because they are really sort of the unsung heroes of uh, when you get in trouble, they're the ones that are going to come get you. And uh, that's a great, great service that as boaters we have. And and it's it's a well-organized, it's a well-organized machine. It, it runs well. It's efficient. They're really highly skilled. They know what they're doing. And so it just kind of gave me that extra appreciation for the United States Coast Guard. And, you know, on, on I listen to the radio when I'm out on the boat. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a rule. If you're, on, if you're on the ocean or you're on water like that, you're supposed to have a VHF radio and it's supposed to be tuned to Channel 16 because all boaters, there's actually a, a, a law, a maritime law that says if, if, if there's a boater in distress, other boaters are obliged to come help them, mm -hmm. right? As long as it doesn't put you into peril. So, uh, you know, that's part of, and I think that's part of that boating community, right? We, we help each other at the dock. <laughs> we, we help each other, you know, we catch lines when someone's coming into the dock. So their boat comes in nice and smooth and we help them fix stuff. And out on the water, we help each other as well. And, but I, you monitor the radio. And there's a lot of calls to the Coast Guard on a busy Saturday or Sunday. 
out on Long Island Sound and Block Island Sound and Narragansett Bay, I'm surprised at the number of boaters out there that need help of some sort. Most of these are not life-threatening. It's like, you know, I, I ran aground or my motor won't start or right. something like that. But, you know, the, and the Coast Guard is predominantly there to save lives, not to not to save your boat from sinking. Um, there's other organizations, particularly on the East Coast, that, that do that um, to help tow you back to, to port or harbor if you get into trouble. But, man, the Coast Guard just does great. And, you know, you often hear them on the radio talking to some commercial fisherman who's got a crew member that's been hurt and the crew member needs to be evacuated. So the Coast Guard's fundamentally the ambulance service, <laughs> right? Mm. right? It's like at home, you di I dial 911 and in five minutes an ambulance shows up and it'll take me to the hospital. Well, if I'm 30 miles offshore, the, the Coast Guard's gonna come out, uh, probably with a helicopter. And you know they'll do an assessment before they launch the helicopter. Is it really life-threatening? And if it is, man, they'll come get you. That's remarkable if you think about it. It's freaking remarkable. And uh, so my hat's off to them. So that was uh, that was one thing that I sort of garnered from my conversation with Chris is a real appreciation for what the Coast Guard does. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, and that I kind of I guess I echo that and you know more about this stuff than I do. But I kind of this kind of reformulated my mental models about the Coast Guard. And I thought, it, you know, kind of what was cool was that they're here to help you stay out of trouble or the most important element is they're trying to help you stay out of trouble in the first place that they'd much rather help you figure out how to do things the right way make sure you have the right safety equipment then come get you when you screw something up right so i thought that was really interesting how they have like accident prevention programs and inspections and all of this stuff you know i guess the idea is that if they can prevent some of the things that are preventable that gives them more resources and time to help when you know as um you know kind of chris put it sometimes you know accidents just happen and there's things that even if you're the most prepared in the world, you you can't prepare for some things. It's just bad things happen. Um, but I really thought about it. So, you know, it's like their their goal is to minimize the amount of pre preventable accidents so that they can be prepared to help you when you really need it. So that was interesting to me. Yeah, I don't know. What's what's your take on this? Yeah, I, I agree, Mike. You know, there's there's regulations about certain safety equipment you have to have on the boat. I have to have a life preserver for every person on boat. I have to have some flares and sig signaling devices. Um, it's a pretty short list, actually. Uh, I have to have a communication device uh, uh, and there's some distress flags. Uh, but the list is pretty short. I have a whole bunch of other stuff that's sort of optional, but I have there uh, in case my boat breaks down or I run aground or I need some help in some way. Uh, but I think the other thing that oftentimes... Back, I go back to this mariners are sort of responsible for each other and helping each other. You know, I have a first aid kit that has some pretty serious stuff in it. I got I got a pump. I got some other stuff. And I have those not only there for myself, but yeah. if someone else close by gets in trouble, I can use that stuff to help them. So I think that's the part that a lot of us don't think about. Well, I have all these life jackets for myself. I have all this safety equipment for myself. Well, oftentimes, yes, that's good to know. It's for yourself, but you may be in a situation where you can help others with that equipment that you have on board. 
So I think that's that's one thing that comes out of it. And yeah, the Coast Guard does courtesy inspections up in our area. There's a thing called the Coast Guard Auxiliary, which are some volunteers, non-members of the Coast Guard or maybe retired members of the Coast Guard. And uh, they will come do safety inspection on your boat. Our marina sponsors a every other summer, I think they do a United States Coast Guard Auxiliary Inspection Day you know, where they have hamburgers and hot dogs and food, they sort of make an event out of it. And, and the, they'll come there and, and do an inspection for you and uh, give you suggestions on sort of what you might be short of on your boat and, and you, you should get. Uh, the other thing is this whole notion of education. And you know me, I'm a little bit anal about these things. I have a checklist of a whole bunch of stuff. So like before the boat departs, I check a whole bunch of things. Uh, I, I make sure that, you know, I'm not taking on any water. I make sure my bilge pumps work. I make sure my radio works. I blah, blah, blah. I go down that list. Um, and I think that's important. And oftentimes we get lax in those things. And, you know, for a while, I, 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 when I was a young lad going to school, I worked in an airport and I worked for a small little commuter airline. And I used to read the uh, FAA accident investigation reports kind of between flights when I didn't have a lot to do. And, the, and what was very clear in those is many of those incidents that happen on an airplane are the result of multiple things going wrong. It's a bad decision here, which led to something happening here, and then another bad decision and blah, blah, blah. And the same thing is true in, I think, in boating. It's oftentimes a cascade of bad decisions and, and events happening. And, and that's where I think education and preparedness really, really matters. So that's sort of the, the things that I focus on. Uh, the other quick thing I'll say is hopefully most, most listeners who are boaters know this, but there's three types of calls that you, you'll hear on the radio. One is you'll hear somebody go, security, security, and then they'll say something. And that's sort of a, hey, listen, I'm going to say something that's important to all people to listen to. So that's like, because the radio is used for, hey, Mike, this is Bela. Are you out there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you reply right. to me, one yes, to one. yeah, one to right. one. And then we'll, go to, the boat. Right. then we'll go to a different channel and have our conversation. Yeah. Right. So one is just for hailing your friends and buddies and someone else. The other one is like a security call. And that's like, I often hear it on Narragansett Bay, like when there's a big freighter coming down the channel and he'll go, hey, security, security, this is the freighter, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm rounding this light and heading down the channel outbound, you know, to the Atlantic. And that's just basically let people know, hey, there's this really big boat coming down. Yeah. Coming so around the corner, the, right? Coming around the corner, right? So that's sort of yeah. one important, and there might be security, security. Hey, there's a there's a floating telephone pole at approximately this location sure. in the bay. Right? Sure, keep but, an eye uh, open for it. Yeah, yeah. keep an eye open. So that's sort of a, a a broadcast. Hey, everybody, should listen to this. Listen to this. Then another one is called Pan Pan. So Pan Pan is uh, we're in trouble. We need some help. But it's it's not a life threatening situation, right? I've, okay. I've pan pan. I've run aground. I'm not taking on water. The boat's not sinking. Everybody's safe. But I need some assistance. 
So that's that's sort of another one. Why? The, what's pan pan mean? Why pick pan pan? Uh, I, I should know the answer to you that, know? Mike, but I don't. I'm, I'm sure it has some historical purpose yeah. or, or, or origins. Yeah. And then there's the one that everyone knows about. It's SOS, right? Mm -hmm. which, ah, it's from the French word meaning pané, which means failure or breakdown. Pan pan most often refers to a mechanical failure or a breakdown of some kind. It's not a mayday. Right. You said. Right. So then there's mayday or SOS uh, or yep. pro properly mayday, uh, which says, hey, I'm sinking. I got five people on board. We're putting our life jackets on and we're jumping into the water. <laughs> so, yeah. But se Securité and Pan Pan are French. I didn't realize you sailors were so cultured and use these French words. <laughs> Ooh la la. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Learn something every day. That's what I tell you. I don't know if that's a sign of how dumb I am or the fact that, you know, I just hang out with people smarter than me. Yeah. So anyway, those are just, you know, sorry, a little, little, little bit there, a little education there on the three different types of radio calls and, and what they mean and the level of importance. And it's something that everybody should know. So point being is if one of those more minor things happened to you, <laughs> you should not be calling a mayday. <laughs> right. And I've yeah. listened yeah. to the Those Coast Guards. Yeah. yeah, I've listened to the Coast Guard. You know, like when you call, uh, hey, Mayday, Mayday, and I listen to the Coast Guard asking questions. How many people are on board? What's your situation? Where are you located? I mean, they have this list. They go down. And, you know, from that, they can make an assessment of, okay, do I need to launch a helicopter? Do I, can I send a boat to get these guys? Can I call somebody else that's maybe close by? And lots of times you'll hear the Coast Guard saying, hey, there's a, commercial fishing vessel in distress and, and they'll give the GPS coordinates and they'll ask other boaters in the area. If you're close by, can you can come help. in to assist? Mm -hmm. Right. Or just, you know, at least if the boat sinks and, and you can pluck people out of the water. Pluck people out. Right. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, this is our, our coast guard episode, but uh, it was good. I thought I'd, I really had a good conversation oh. with him. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I learned a lot. I totally agree. All right, should we wrap this one up? Sounds good, Mike. All right. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us for yet another episode. We hope that you also found this conversation interesting and thought-provoking. If you have questions about what we've discussed, always feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoyed the podcast, hit that follow button on your podcasting app, and even better yet, write a review. Uh, that helps... Uh, other people find us as well. So signing off uh, from upstate New York, where there's a little bit of snow on the ground. Uh, see you all soon. All right. And from over here in Münster, Germany, auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>